Good afternoon and welcome to this post-4th of July edition of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. I hope that you all have had a wonderfully relaxing weekend and if you have celebrated 4th of July, hope you all are staying safe and enjoying the pleasant weather wherever you are. Today's episode is brought to you by the wonderful folks at rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked on sent you. As always, if you enjoy what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On today's episode, we are going to be continuing our series of world's greatest hockey villains. And these are not exactly guys who are seen as bad players or bad people necessarily, but for one reason or another are hated by a fan base regardless of whether or not their actual on-ice production was good or bad. Some of these guys may be more or less effective at specific roles and jobs that they perform, and we'll kind of take a look at which of these players are meant to do certain things, and whether or not they actually accomplish those tasks, and whether or not there are actually peripheral benefits from what these guys do. And so the first group that we're going to start with is actually more than one player. It is the three-headed triumvirate that Philadelphia universally despised for many seasons. Some of these guys were more recent additions than others, but the three that I tend to think of that uh, Flyers Twitter love to hate on include uh, Andrew McDonald, Yori Laterra, and Valtteri Filpula. There have surely been any number of Flyers players over the last decade that have always been the ire of Flyers fans because, to be honest... Philadelphia, for the longest time, had a a bad tendency to find really fringe NHLers, uh, bottom-pairing defensemen, or even uh, below-replacement-level defensemen, and below-quality fourth-liners to stuff into elevated positions and roles. Philadelphia's defense at one point was probably one of the worst cores in the league, and it hasn't, you know, always been smooth sailing, but they've definitely improved a lot over the past couple of seasons. The Flyers team that currently exists uh, under head coach Elaine Vigneault is a massive step over what it was just a couple of years ago. And that probably has something to do with the fact that Andrew McDonald, Yuri Laterra, and Valtteri Filpula are not really seeing minutes or even on the team anymore. These three represented something to Flyers fans that I think uh, anyone who is a hockey fan can appreciate and understand. And for a lot of it, it's just frustration with the fact that these guys were paid way too much money, they were getting way too many minutes, and really the Flyers didn't need these players occupying spots over some of their talented young rookies. Of the three, I think Andrew McDonald makes the most sense to kind of dissect and take a look at, because McDonald, for the most part, was a, a bit of a disastrous contract. I forget how many years he was signed for, like five or six, I thought. But he was paid something in the neighborhood of four to five million dollars, if I recall correctly, or maybe it was a little bit more than five million. Basically, anything above two million would have been just insane money for his deal, and it was definitely well over two million. What McDonald was was probably a replacement level, third pairing guy, or even like a number five D at his peak, which he wasn't really useful until later in the uh, end of his Flyers tenure. When he was brought in, I I think Flyers management thought of him much more highly than pretty much anyone else, and I think a lot of folks at the time felt that he was going to be a bad signing no matter what, and Philadelphia badly overpaid on his contract. The problem with signing a guy like that, especially to a big money deal and like previous coaching and management regimes trusting him with a lot of minutes, is that when a new group comes in, it's very hard to sit down and tell a guy, suddenly, you know, your role is changing, you're going to be a third-pairing defenseman, 
and you know this is just how it's going to have to be these guys get used to having a certain amount of responsibility a certain amount of ice time and you have to remember that they are people they do have emotions and thoughts and feelings and you don't really want to put them in a situation where they spiral into you know minor depression or or start to act out or feel like they're not really being included because they're still players in your team and they do want to contribute and be useful for Philadelphia, I think the other reality was that, to be honest, McDonald was really bad and there weren't many better uh, defensive replacements that weren't, you know, young prospects that they weren't ready yet to trust to, to fill full-time NHL roles. McDonald's cap hit on top of all the other money they had on the books just prevented them from really doing anything and making significant moves and upgrades to the positions where they need them, notably on the back line. Felpila and Laterra are kind of in similar situations in that they were replacement level, or in some cases above replacement level, by a, a bit, um, NHLers, but they just didn't really bring any sort of long-term organizational value. I would say that, uh, I guess Felpila was probably the best of that three-headed monster, but I don't know that that really says a whole lot. At one point, Valtteri was actually a very good NHLer when he was with Detroit in his prime, but of course that, those years have definitely faded, and Philpila at this point and at this stage of his career was more or less cooked. Laterra had his own issues and definitely was feeling age kind of setting in, and then I think he went to Buffalo afterwards and sort of ghosted on his contract because I think he had some personal matters to take care of, and I think that he just kind of lost his feeling for the game, and so he wanted to retire and kind of walk out and, and end things on his terms. All three of these guys kind of epitomize where uh, Philadelphia's management shift started to change, because in recent times, you know, after Hextall and I guess, I forget who's running the team now, I think it's um, Chuck Fletcher. For some reason, his name was escaping me. But Fletcher, I think, has done a pretty decent job of managing signings and looking at good trade options. I wasn't sure about Fletcher because I felt like Minnesota's management team at the time under his direction was kind of mediocre. But for the most part, I think the combined efforts of he and Hextall have generally paid off pretty well over the past couple of seasons. You're not really seeing them acquiring guys like um, Andrew McDonald or Philpula or Laterra. It looks like they've kind of gone away from all of that. And of course, teams will naturally sign bad players again. I mean, it's it's just something that teams can't really avoid because somebody will see something that they like and think is useful in the game. And maybe they actually do exceed in that role. But, you know, the rest of the package that they bring is just not good enough for this level of hockey. Jets fans certainly know their fair share of uh, below-par or below-NHL-caliber signings over the past couple of seasons, and right now there's a pretty good argument that the Jets' defense might actually be worse than what Philadelphia had a few years ago. My main hope is that that does not last as long as it did for the Flyers, and hopefully the Jets' turnover gives us some much better NHL-caliber skaters and blue liners in the near future. If nothing else, it probably won't be as bad as signing Andrew McDonald to like a five- or six-year deal, but, you know, you always worry that at some point you're going to get stuck with an anchor contract because you do have to pay your veteran guys and reward them to a degree. It's part of organizational loyalty, and already we've done that with Wheeler. And, to a lesser extent, Brian Little, but hopefully those guys are more serviceable than any one of Laterra, Philpula, and uh, Andy McDonald, especially as we go later into the twilight of their careers. While Philadelphia may be known for signing a lot of bad value contracts, one place where you won't get any bad value is at rockauto.com. Finding the exact car parts you need when your car breaks down or has an issue can always be really difficult, especially if you're not an automotive expert and know the make, year, and model of your vehicle. You could stand in line at a repair shop or an auto parts store and wait for the store clerk to place an order online for a part that isn't even in stock. 
or you could go to rockauto.com's easy-to-use intuitive search engine that lets you filter by year, make, model, and price range you want to pay for the part so you get exactly what you need on the budget that you need. rockauto.com is a family-run business that has over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry and always ensures that whatever price you pay is exactly what every other customer, whether an automotive expert, or budding amateur fixer-upper has the same exact prices all across the board. You could even save anywhere from 20, 30, 40, or even 50% off of retail in-store brick-and-mortar prices. So why go out during quarantine and pay more when you can get it from rockauto.com for a lesser price? Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you in the How Did We Do box. Moving on in our villainous hockey villains list of most hated players, we are next going to touch on somebody who was actually related in some capacity to the guy we talked about yesterday, Anthony D'Angelo. This player is teammate Brendan Lemieux, another guy who's probably cut from the same cloth as D'Angelo. Lemieux is a fourth-line grinder who, I think in a lot of ways, was drafted to be this power-forward, goal-scoring, greasy guy with a bit of a gritty, tough edge. Now, he actually does have some of those capabilities. He is grindy, he is gritty, and he can score greasy net front goals, but I think his upside is a lot lower than I think it was Buffalo that drafted him was expecting. Lemieux is not the worst NHL ever, and in fact, he can actually be very useful and has been when he was with the New York Rangers. But with the Jets, I think we saw what happens when you put him into roles that he's really not capable of handling because... He's kind of the player that goes from point A to point B in a very direct line. There's not a whole lot of finesse to his game, and I think that that tends to make him a little bit more one-dimensional than most other forwards. That's not a bad thing, and in fact, I think that his particular style of game has quite a bit of value as a net front presence and somebody who can collect on those greasy rebounds and go for goal because he's constantly fighting and harassing people in front of the net. If, you know, he had an aggression rating, it'd be very high because he's somebody who loves grinding in the corners. He'll really fight with guys in front of the net, and he'll use his physicality and fists to kind of get his own way. So in some respects, he definitely is hated because he can be that kind of pesty, annoying player in the sort of Brad Marchandy sort of way. But I think what really makes people despise Lemieux is his off-ice persona. He kind of is, uh, he's not quite as outspoken as somebody like um, Tony D'Angelo, but of course there are many stories of Lemieux being a little bit of a troublemaker and somebody who occasionally gets himself into trouble with some of the things he says. And he definitely seems like the kind of guy who would go on D'Angelo's podcast and say something that gets him into some trouble with fans around the world. When I say he and Tony D are definitely cut from the same cloth, I really do mean it. I think that they are kind of two peas in a pod. And so it actually makes a lot of sense why they tend to get along and seemingly communicate with each other on a pretty regular basis. Brendan is one of those guys who definitely will chirp you and look for a fight and probably say something offensive in the same vein to to really get under your skin. But, you know, it's hard to say whether or not he really embraces that. And we definitely know that he, to some degree, does. Just not sure if it can't be kicked out of him at some point down the road. One guy who's actually hated for not really being outspoken at all is Sidney Crosby. And Crosby's kind of an interesting guy because, for the most part, I think he has been the face of the NHL for a very long time. And I feel like he's very emblematic of hockey culture in a lot of ways. I tend to think that Crosby, though, is often miscast as somebody who is supposed to be a very outspoken leader, and I feel like that's just never been his personality type. He, to me, he seems very understated and reserved and quiet, and it's it's often that he he needs to say something in in some ways because there are a lot of important societal issues, and again, he is the face of the NHL. And yet, I also kind of feel like people 
tend to pick at him for reasons that I think, I think it's just his personality type that he doesn't talk a lot and that he's not really open about a lot of things. He seems almost religiously devoted to hockey and kind of a type A person, but not really about anything else. And so it doesn't shock me when he is like the last person to make a statement on something like Black Lives Matter. You know, he just doesn't really talk much outside of, you know, generalized hockey things. And really, he is like the most vanilla, stereotypical kind of NHL player you could possibly imagine. It's almost like he's a blank canvas. And so I think when people expect him to make a statement, they're ultimately setting themselves up for disappointment because I just don't think his personality type and the sort of person that he really is lends itself to being a very publicly outspoken player. You look at Blake Wheeler, who's like an entirely different kind of guy, even though he's also a little more reserved, at least publicly speaking. He tends to have a, a, a bit of a fiery streak when it comes to political issues, and he's definitely not afraid to speak out. He's almost kind of like the polar opposite of Crosby in some ways, because he definitely lets his opinions known. He, he makes his feelings very clear. But, you know, he's also reserved in the same way that he doesn't yell about it or kind of shout it from the rooftops in a lot of ways, and yet by his standards and by NHL standards, he probably does. And so it's kind of interesting to see people expect the same thing from Crosby, but I, I just think that that's never going to happen because he's not really wired that way. And unfortunately, I just don't see him as the kind of person who really tackles things head on like this because I think for him, it's sort of secondary to what he does in hockey. And sometimes he maybe is a little too focused on that and, and sort of I don't know if he, he, he definitely sees what's happening, and I'm sure he has thoughts and feelings and opinions on it, but he's the kind of guy who tends to conform to hockey culture and just won't say anything about it. By the time he does release a statement, it's probably too late because everyone knows that it doesn't really mean anything, and it's something that, at this point, just sounds more robotic and scripted, so at that point, why bother? It's a very delicate and complicated balance that I, I think Crosby would have to manage if he were to be a little bit more outspoken, but... You know, I, I do think that he doesn't say enough, and sometimes, you know, guessing on his personality from the way that he addresses the public and how he handles things, I just feel like he's never going to be somebody who comes out and has a position on things. Whether the team has told him to say things or keep quiet or, or that's just his own personal decision, hard to say, but at least from the out, uh, an outsider's perspective, it definitely seems like he's more introverted, and he's not somebody who is very... Uh, freely flowing with his thoughts and opinions, especially on political matters. It probably doesn't help that the league has made him one of their, I guess, standard bearers and faces of the league because, you know, with that comes additional responsibilities, whether he asked for them or not, he's one of the world's most talented skaters. And I think that that means that there are certain expectations placed upon his shoulders and he's just never going to live up to those. This isn't a criticism of him as a person or anything like that. I think that he has fine character and he doesn't seem to get himself into trouble or anything. But as far as being a leader on social issues and whatnot, I think that that's probably something unrealistic to expect from him. And it makes him a target for a lot of criticism. Most of it valid. Some of it, I think, is a little silly. And, and then there are also the people who call him, you know, Sidney Crosby in terms of referring to him as a woman, as a demeaning form. And of course, that's unacceptable. That's that's misogynistic and sexist, and we don't tolerate that. But as far as like the other criticism about him being silent is, is being concerned, I think that that is fair. And I think that in some ways, I wish he was more outspoken and did more in terms of voicing his thoughts and opinions. But 
sometimes when guys do that ends up revealing that we don't really agree with them and that can be complicated as well for a guy who is as much of a blank canvas as he is he certainly earns a lot of hatred and it's kind of interesting to see because he is extremely talented and i think that his talent and and prestige in the nhl has placed a different kind of spotlight on him and that will carry with it expectations that i just don't think he's really gonna meet Rounding out our list of most hated hockey players and NHLers, I think the last one is a guy who really hasn't been active in the NHL recently, but I do think he was with the AHL, uh, I don't know if the Tucson Roadrunners or something had him. Oh, holy crap, he was actually playing with the Calgary Flames for several games last season. I did not even realize that. This guy is uh, somehow finding himself in the NHL repeatedly, and I, I don't know how that is because, let's be honest, this particular player is not... Uh, of the highest caliber. That player is Zach Ronaldo, and anyone who has ever had a vision of Ronaldo or seen him on the ice or even, I don't know, interacted with him as a fan, he is one of the most hated personalities in all of hockey for a couple of reasons. And the first is that he is unapologetically himself, which means he's very feisty, he's very testy, and he's really not afraid to drop the gloves and scrap with just about anyone in the league. In many ways, he is like an extremely throwback grinder and fighter, which makes him sort of an annoying player to play against, but also fans love to hate him because he's one of those genuine bonafide villains on the ice that people can't stand. What's kind of funny about him is like I don't really ever think of him as like a directly dirty player that gets suspended a lot like Tom Wilson. I just think he tends to be very gritty and grindy and takes a lot of penalties because he drops the gloves and gets into fights a lot. In 2011-2012, he actually had 232 penalty minutes for the Philadelphia Flyers. I think his legend as this fourth-line, very gritty, hard-working, grindy, but extremely bad player who only ever was useful for fighting kind of developed when he was with the Philadelphia system. He grew his reputation for several seasons there and played way more NHL games than I think anyone in this position could ever expect to get, especially in the modern era. He was always one of those guys who, for some reason, when somebody got injured, he would get called up, or if he was a starter somewhere, he'd get minutes that somebody else probably deserved. And I think it came from this belief that he was an enforcer and a guardian on the ice and somebody who could protect the other star players from getting injured. I think most of us know that that sort of perception and belief might not actually be all that accurate, and in fact it doesn't shield players at all. But I think most folks know that the NHL tends not to operate that way and kind of is a little bit set in its ways as far as old old uh, standing traditions are concerned. And so the idea of Zach Ronaldo being your enforcer and protector on the ice has never really gone away. His actual on-ice contributions really don't amount to much. In 370 games of NHL time, he has managed 18 goals and 24 assists for a whopping total of 42 points. That is actually impressively low. I think you would have to find like one of the world's worst defensemen to find point totals that low. Somebody who basically only sat in their own end and really didn't participate offensively in any other way. What is impressive is that in those same 370 games, he managed to amass 753 penalty minutes, which is, by all accounts, very impressive. There aren't many players like him who basically exist only to fight and scrap with other players and opposing forwards, which is kind of funny. He is, in a lot of ways, singularly unique. There's just not really a role for guys like this anymore, and yet Ronaldo is one of those players who, for some reason, whether by dedication, hard work, or something else, has managed to resist the changing tides and continues to get NHL games. He had 19 games this season, which is just, for me, completely mind-blowing. 
usually his style of play and the fact that he doesn't really generate a whole lot in the way of offensive totals is a death knell for these kinds of careers, especially with the way the game is transitioning to. But yet, Zach Ronaldo has seemingly defied father time itself and continues to find ice time and, and earn his way to new contracts. I guarantee that at the end of the season, somebody will sign him, whether to an AHL deal or to a two-way NHL deal, because people seem to make room for this guy, and it's really funny, because I just can't imagine what you see in his particular game that is so valuable that you can't find from somebody else. But hey, you know, more power to him. He's been making that NHL bread for a long time. He continues to do so, and it's working for him, so go get him, Tiger. That concludes it today for our list of NHL villains. If you guys have any villains you want me to take a look at, be sure to hit me up at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets or my personal Twitter at HLLivingLoco, and I'll do a deep dive on your favorite player to hate. Thanks so much for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out our Locked On NHL National podcast with Sarah Avampado. Have a great day, and go Jets go.